uh, Acts chapter 19, um, and we're going to pick up in verse 20. It says 23. It starts with uh, starts with 20. Um, just after there's been a big book burning. I don't know why I'm obsessed with bonfires, uh, but there has been a big book burning right before this. And then uh, Acts chapter 19, beginning in verse 20, I hear of God. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Now, after these events, Paul resolved in the spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and go to Jerusalem, saying, After I've been there, I must also see Rome. And having sent into Macedonia two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. About that time, there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together with the workmen and similar trades and said, Men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. And you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying that gods made with hands are not gods. And there is danger, not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing, and that she may even be deposed from her magnificence, she whom all Asia and the world worship. When they heard this, they were enraged and were crying out, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! So the city was filled with a confusion, and they rushed together into the theater, dragging with them Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians who were Paul's companions in travel. When Paul wished to go in among the crowd, uh, the disciples would not let him. And even some of the Asiarchs, who were friends of, of his, sent to him and were urging him not to venture into the theater. Now, some cried out one thing, some another, for the assembly was in confusion, and most of them did not know why they had come together. Some of the crowd prompted Alexander, whom the Jews had put forward, and Alexander, motioning with his hands, wanted to make a defense to the crowd. But when they recognized he was a Jew, for about two hours, they all cried out with one voice, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! When the town clerk had quieted the crowd, he said, Men of Ephesus, who is there who does not know that the city of Ephesus, a city of the Ephesians, is temple keeper of the great Artemis and of the sacred stone that fell from the sky? Seeing then that these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rash. For you have brought these men here who are neither sacrilegious nor blasphemers of our goddess. If therefore Demetrius and the craftsmen with him have a complaint against anyone, the courts are open, and there are proconsuls. Let them bring charges against one another. But if you seek anything further, it shall be settled in the regular assembly. For we really are in danger of being charged with rioting today, since there is no cause that we can give to justify this commotion. And when he had said these things, he dismissed the assembly. After the uproar ceased, 
Paul sent for the disciples, and after encouraging them, he said farewell and departed for Macedonia. Grass withers, flower fades, the word of the Lord endures forever. So at the center of this passage is a mob riot. Right? The, the whole story is this mob uh, riot calling out, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Uh, maybe not the best reason for loving the passage, but it's certainly up there as one of the reasons that I love uh, this, this passage. Just the group dynamics of what can go on, and people are like, some people didn't even know why they were there, but they're still like, yes, let's call out, here's, here's these things. But the center is this mob riot, and it's a mob riot that is about Christianity, no little disturbance concerning the way, right? Uh, the way as, as seen with, as a sect within Judaism, but then having influence uh, beyond that, the way of following Jesus, who's the way, the truth, and the life. To put it this way, uh, Christianity just got noticed. Because in Ephesus, a major town uh, in Asia where people would come and there's commerce and all these things, uh, the city itself is in an uproar, and a big mob riot because of Christianity. Now, yes, CNN wasn't there, like, on the ground to cover every minute of it with video things to show it all around the world and a little, you know, scroll screen going across to tell you all the, all the updates um, that they would have been if it happened now. Uh, but here is, a, is this huge uh, riot because people are getting upset about the kind of impact that Christianity has on their, their lives and their culture uh, and, and the potential changes that they're all of a sudden worried about might come. Uh, Christianity gets, gets noticed, um, noticed but, but not liked, right? Um, Flash mobs are maybe kind of fun, you know, like watching the little videos, New York Central Station, you know, the flash mob comes up, do little dance things. But, but I wouldn't really want to be present here, right, when Paul tries to go in, like he wants to go in and, and talk to people. And so I was like, no, uh, the Asiarchs, these, these men who are uh, uh, rulers and very important and are sending a message saying, no, don't, don't go in there. That's going to cause uh, more problems. It's going to be dangerous for you. There's people who vehemently at this point are hating him, are hating the cause of Christianity, hating those who associate it with it. Christianity is, is unliked, to put it that way. So I want to get us to stop for, for a minute and pull back uh, and, and just a little bit remember, you don't really want to remember this, but remember what it feels like to be unliked. Um, you, maybe you're going back to middle school days because really for everyone, no one knew what they were doing in middle school and some thought one thing and some thought another. And if someone would cheer, you know, something mean against someone and everyone else would, would cheer that and then you're crying and you're standing in the corner and you're, maybe that's just me. Okay. <laughs> uh, maybe you have different memories, okay? Um, you don't have to think back very far to, to feeling uh, unliked. Uh, maybe it's someone that you that you, like, their opinion of you really matters. And when you can't see that or when something they said feels against you or they've turned against you, it, it hurts. It's painful. Not to feel like you're not wanted, uh, desired, to feel people giving you the cold shoulder or maybe you're hearing words that they've said against you or behind your back or even to your face. Uh, it's hard when it feels like people around you are against you. And sometimes it's difficult uh, to be known as a Christian. Uh, because there's, there's times when that means being known as, as unliked. 
sometimes very difficult to consider becoming a Christian. Because you know that part of what is going to get involved is that, and that is, is not being liked. People that are your friends who are close to you now, who really would be pretty confused of what was going on in your life if you started reading your Bible and going to church and talking about Jesus. Um, and I've watched folks just struggle through that going, yeah, but embracing Jesus looks like a whole turn of a lot of the relationships around me. And it's difficult to consider not, not being liked. Now, Christianity here is, is, is unliked, to put it mildly, and it comes uh, to a boil uh, at this point, and this passage through Demetrius, uh, my favorite part of it is, is two hours of them calling out, great as Artemis of the Ephesians, right? You're like, oh, 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 oh right? Um, here's their identity, they're all into it, I mean, Two hours, I mean, my, my arm starts to get a little, I mean, I'm still, I'm still in, I'm still in, but right, for two hours, all they're doing is just going, great as Artemis of the Ephesians, great as Artemis of the Ephesians. Like, this is the identity, and this thing is against it, and we, we want to be done with it. Um, and the question I want you to ask as we go through this is, is why? Uh, why does this happen? Uh, what's, what's going on here? Uh, why is Christianity liked, and why is it disliked? And, and maybe even as we go through it, uh, even why you like it, uh, and why sometimes you don't. So, so first we'll look at it in terms of why Christianity is, is not liked. Certainly the major uh, theme in, in the passage. And I want us to go ahead and leave behind a lot of other associations with Christianity. I don't, speaking of uh, biblical Christianity, uh, as you see it here, uh, led by Christ, the principles taught in the Word. So a biblical Christianity. You could speak of a cultural Christianity that holds some of those values and holds a lot of other values of just society around them, um, of being judgmental and hypocritical. And there's lots of reasons to dislike that on a, on a different side. But here what Demetrius is upset about are things that are actually true uh, scripturally from God in the gospel uh, that Christ would be leading, leading the way in. Uh, so we're going to look at what's not liked even about biblical Christianity. And I love, you see this other places in Luke, but especially here. I love Luke's understatement. Right? Like he's about to tell you about this big mob riot. And he's like, there was, how shall I put it, no, small, no little disturbance uh, about the way. There's like a major brouhaha about to happen, right? People are going to be up in arms trying to, dragging people into the city square and stirring everybody up. He's like, no. No little uh, disturbance. It's a major thing. The whole town, the authorities had to be called in to deal with it. Major unrest, uh, right? They don't just like prefer not to hear about Christianity. Why don't you just stop? They're having a riot about it. It's that level of, of dislike. So, so why? Why is there this no little uh, disturbance about it? Several things we can say, but part of it is that Christianity really does messes, it messes with your life. It messes with the status quo of a culture, uh, and it continues to call out and, and demand and encourage uh, a repentance, a turning, a turning from the way that the culture is going, the way that you're going on your own, and a changing of that uh, toward hoping in Christ and following where he leads. Um, right? that there, there is kind of cultural religion that supports the status quo, the part of the reason it's there is to uphold that and encourage it and, and maintain it. Uh, that's the 
That's what Demetrius is involved in, right? He's, a, he's an idol maker. He's encouraging uh, this business. Sometimes uh, there's cultural religions that are cultural Christ- versions of Christianity uh, that aren't Christianity, but, but go by some of that name, that are there to either hold up that status quo and support it or to, to support a particular uh, you know, political regime or, 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 uh, or societal ideas in it. Um, but that's not the focus of Christianity. Uh, Christianity is about Jesus about what God has done in history. And Christianity always points to Jesus as Lord. And it points us to Jesus as Lord coming uh, under him and hoping in the future glory that he offers. And, and so in hoping in that glory and in hoping in Christ's glory shared with us, we're willing to challenge the things in the present. Challenge the state affairs that maybe even makes us comfortable, makes other people comfortable, because our hope isn't now, our hope is in something more. And Christianity is always pointing there, it's always pointing to Christ, uh, to the new creation that he uh, has made in part and is is bringing us uh, into. Um, And and here, put it specifically, one of those ways that it can kind of mess with your life, um, here it comes down to money. Right? Comes down, comes down to the brass tacks. He, you know, Demetrius is a businessman. Yes, he's an idol maker. Uh, that's his business. He seems to be one of the chief uh, people in that guild. And he calls together the other craftsmen, the other skilled laborers and workers and the managers and the CEOs and gets them together. And he's like, hey, Ephesus is an important place because a lot of people come because the Temple of Artemis, right? We know it as one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. All of Asia and the world comes through here. And he's like, we have our wealth because of this business. And the status of our wealth and our prosperity is being, is being pushed against by this, this Paul who's gone around saying stuff that undercuts everything that we do. It's messing with his life because it's, it's messing uh, with his money. And we don't really uh, like that. Um, <laughs> Conversion is a beautiful and amazing uh, thing where Christ uh, moves someone from spiritual death to spiritual life, opens their eye, but, but it also like shakes up a lot of things in life. Um, uh, if you think back to your conversion or people you've seen around you and they're, they're, uh, if, if it's in life and you see like a real uh, change of what's going on, it shakes up a lot of relationships. It shakes up a lot of family relationships sometimes. It shakes up a lot of friendships uh, a lot of values, a lot of what we used to do hanging out, and now where, where are we at, right? There's things where Christianity uh, messes with it. it. It says certain things about how you spend your money, how you spend your money. Um, we don't always uh, want to hear that. It, it challenges the status quo. It calls out to repentance and points out to Jesus. You can understand why sometimes it's not liked. I don't want something messing with what I'm comfortable with. Uh, But especially, and this is the accent of the passage a little bit more, is because it challenges values. Not just what you're comfortable in, but the the very underpinnings of that and the beliefs uh, that motivate toward that. It challenges uh, the values, uh, the idols, uh, the false gods, whatever it is that you give your life to. Uh, God in the gospel uh, calls and says, turn from that. You're giving your life to something else, and I'm the only thing that your life should be given to. And it calls and said, all that that you're giving your life to is only leaving you in emptiness. But I've given you more, and I've given you uh, grace and salvation and life uh, and uplifting um, peace, even in sorrow and suffering. He gives himself to us in his son, and he calls out of that. But it challenges then those values, that idolatry, that that false gods. 
Demetrius gets that. He's like, not only, he first starts talking about what's important, right? He's a businessman. Let's talk about the money. Right. This is going to affect our wealth and our money. And he goes on and says, you know, all these things that Paul says. And he says, and not only that, but it, it could even affect the great goddess Artemis. Uh, that she might be uh, deposed, uh, he says, from her magnificence. Uh, that her temple might be uh, counted as, uh, as nothing. She whom all the Asia and the world uh, worship. Verse 27 uh, there. He, he gets what's, what's going on here. Um, Hey, in Christianity, like, it's great to call out the temple of Artemis as, as being nothing. I mean, this is a, was a very pretty impressive building. Uh, but it, it wasn't full of the goddess and her presence. It was, it was nothing. Uh, and the same with the little silver temples of Artemis that Demetrius would make and people would buy and send home with them. There, there wasn't any special presence of the god, any hope in that. It was empty. It, it was nothing. And when Paul says, as, or when Paul has communicated, as Demetrius rightly gets, uh, that gods made with hands aren't really gods. Can you believe this? <laughs> right? We're like, yeah, I mean, it's like a piece of wood, and then it's still a piece of wood. It just looks different, right? Um, but that, that's not, it's challenging the whole values associated with it. Here's how you devote your life, and here's how you find the good life and reward from the gods and, and conformity uh, to right values. It's challenging those things. Right? There's certain things that we don't like to hear. And we don't want to be challenged of values of how we uh, give ourselves to stuff. Uh, whether that's money or time or friendships or relationships, right? You ever start, like, talking to someone about a dating relationship they're in? Like, I mean, you, just kind of, you know that there's boundaries to how much you can criticize. You're like, I'm watching their eyes, and they just kind of lock down on me. Like, if I say anything more about this person they just started dating, like, they're going to move back. Right? Uh, when there's things challenging what we're doing, we, uh, we move against that. That's the... It's technically off right now. There was no power going to it, and it was still, it was still trying to say, greatest Artemis of the Ephesians, greatest Artemis. Um, <clears throat> Uh, we don't like the things that are challenging our values and what we want to give our life to. Listen, even if you're just, you're just like all in on getting in shape and uh, being more responsible for things, but then if someone's coming in and like, you sure are going to the gym a lot. Right? Like just real quick, you just lock down on that and you're like, what are you, what are you doing? Right? Like, what? All right, in Christianity, it is calling out what we give our life to. It's calling out our important values and saying only God is worthy of it. And these other things are empty and not fulfilling. It's being brought to nothing. All right, but, but you get that. You can understand that, Christians. But, but you get how Christianity is not liked. Uh, it's easily unliked. If you're in class and... There's going to be some teacher wants to draw out opinions and, and discussions so we get to relate to one another. And we're just going to discuss some political, uh, you know, genders of the, of the day and gay marriage. What are different people's thoughts about gay marriage, right? Um, and if you're holding to a biblical view of that God calls that as a sin, like many other sins that Christ's grace is enough for, but that's not acceptable and to be approved, then you're like, hmm, Great. If I engage in the discussion, I'm pretty quickly going to be, all the faces are looking at me, unliked. Right? Moving, moving against. Um, 
uh, gender or queer issues. We need to change all the bathroom. What, who's, who should be allowed to do what? How does this go? And if you engage in how scripture would talk about male and female, like there's a, whoa, like wh- where do you get off saying these kind of things? Or it's just a, a, a science class and it, evolution is there and so many questions are really there of how, of what happened at the beginning of the world. How did God create? But if you talk in such a way as, as God was involved in the world, uh, in its making and its design and how all it operates, that's generally just, just mocked. Right? And, and to continue to talk that way is, moves you to the side as, as unliked. It's not just there. Maybe those are the big things, but you can pick any different major and you see ways that comes out. And uh, business school, they're just going to push a certain, uh, you know, tons of great things. You're getting in any, any of these classes, but you're also weighing through it. And there's, so often there's a pragmatism of what matters is how it works out. The end justifies the means. The, what we're aiming at is, is more money or we're aiming at success. And when you come in with the biblical questions of ethics and you're like, but, it's like, oh, you're just not going to go far, right? Um, uh, whether it's poly, uh, political science, communications, advertising, publicity, uh, marketing, that are, they're just pretty quickly going to accent a little more uh, along the lines of manipulation rather than truth. Uh, there's great things in all those majors. But, but if you as a Christian are like, wait, but that's just manipulative. <laughs> yes. You, wait, you have a problem with that? Right? You, you know that if those things come up, those discussions come up, and you're standing on biblical values that there's just a turn uh, against. Uh, or, uh, or just like this, like at FSU, try talking to, to someone and just saying that Scripture says that sex outside of marriage uh, is, is unbiblical and offensive to God. And he calls us to, to something more that's actually destructive for you rather than, than fulfilling, right? Um, and this room even gets quiet. <laughs> and you know that if you talk to, to everyone else around you here, that's like, whoa, what are you talking about? And where do you get off in this? And you don't know anything, right? There's very quickly, unliked. <laughs> Whoever's engaging from that side, unliked. Um, or alcohol, right? The, uh, the Bible never says things against alcohol is evil. Alcohol is not uh, evil, right? Scripture doesn't talk about it that way. One, which gladdens the heart of man. There's a cultural version that can call itself Christianity and say, oh, these things are all evil. But uh, when Scripture talks about drunkenness, it's always pretty clear. It always refers to that as a, as a debauchery, uh, as, as an against God, and it calls you out that you're, that you're made for something more, that you're made for something life-giving, and that's not fulfilling. Um, Talk that way very much at FSU, and you're, you're just not invited to the parties, all right? Um, but if those kind of ideas began to gain, uh, gain some cultural weight at FSU, then not only just you have some people that are upset, but like Mike's Beer Barn's a little, a little bit frustrated, all right? Bullwinkles and Madison Shows are like, hey, we get a lot of our wealth from people spending a lot of money on alcohol over the weekends, um, and that's the kind of thing going on here. It's just changing some of those deep assumptions and deep values and how that life is, is lived. We can go on, but you get it how Christianity is unliked. Because you live in it here at FSU, whatever your values, when you're comparing the values of this campus to the values of the Bible, you know they don't jive well. right? And that pushing, starting to talk about those biblical values and why they would matter uh, turns the, the face of, of dislike uh, uh, towards you or towards scripture or toward uh, Christianity. Um, we, we could go on, but you can see that, right? Why? There might be this mob riot. Um, 
uh, why this is, this is happening here, why Christianity is unlike. And, and part of the teaching of the passage is, is that we shouldn't be surprised by it. When that's what Christianity is, all these different values pointing to Jesus and the hope in that instead of now, that, that that's the way it works in culture and call, well, then we shouldn't be surprised uh, for people to, to be uh, upset uh, by it, uh, to be uh, disliked by uh, people as we mention those things, or as you might start to embody those things. We shouldn't be surprised by it. But also part of where this passage encourages you, encourages us, is to say that we shouldn't be afraid of it. Usually when a big mob riot happens, uh, the people that the mob riot is going against suffer a lot of harm and consequences. And it doesn't work out well for them, right? But not so here. Uh, Because Jesus is reigning And Jesus turns what looks like it's going to be this big stumbling block of now that Christianity starts to be more known, it's more widely uh, disliked, and so isn't it going to suffer and crumble? And yet even here in this event and in Ephesus and other places, Christianity continues to grow. It's unhindered because Christ is reigning on his throne. Christ is moving it forward. We can say it makes a lot of sense why Christianity is, is disliked. And let's look at the other side of it a little bit, too. Why Christianity is liked. Because not everyone in the passage uh, hates Christianity or hates uh, Paul and his companions here. Um, uh, They have some friends, too. Not just friends that are part of the same uh, beliefs. But these these Asiarchs, these uh, high-ruling officials, are are talked about as as friends of Paul. They're like, whoa, whoa, you don't want to go down in there. This isn't going to work out good. Um, and uh, even to some extent, the city clerk, who doesn't seem to be, doesn't seem to have a real good handle on Christianity and its beliefs, uh, but even as he goes there, he's he's much more he's much closer to defending Christianity than he is to condemning or criticizing it, right? Um, so just look a little bit why Christianity uh, is liked. It's it's not condemned here. If anything, it's defended. Um, now, honestly, honestly, I think this story is kind of funny when you look at it that, that way, when you look at it as how Acts is presenting it, what Jesus is doing, and so this mob comes and riots and gets the whole city riled up, and for two hours they're like, great as armless of the Ephesians, and they're ready to have someone's neck and, 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 and deal with them, right, and crush this thing so it's over, and how's it end? <laughs> it ends with the guy being like, uh, guys, like, there's not even a good reason for you to be doing what you're doing. <laughs> and they're like, what? <laughs> uh, and, it, and it calls me, like, it ends with them walking home being like, oh, I was just riding down the city. I'm, I guess we kind of got carried away. Right? <laughs> I guess, I guess our, our vehemence against this really didn't make sense and we really weren't there. It ends with the mob actually, I mean, how often does the mob get like dispersed quietly at the end? <laughs> I mean, here the mob gets dispersed quietly. Paul's not thrown out of the city. Uh, Christianity isn't crushed down. It's like, here's this thing we have to stop. Yeah, Paul leaves, but he leaves after, like, because he was already planning to. And afterwards, he meets the disciples again. He, he encourages them. Partially, he probably encourages them that this mob that was ready to stomp them, like, kind of realized they were being ridiculous and got sent away. Um, and, and that here's Christ at work. Uh, encouraging his people, working through them. The gospel continues to go forward uh, despite it. Uh, Jesus is un- unhindered. 
uh, even by a mob riot, hating Christianity. Uh, even as Christianity becomes unlike and its values are more clearly seen, Jesus isn't thrown off by that. He's still at work. He's still causing the gospel to go forward. Um, <clears throat> Christianity um, is, <clears throat> it isn't actually the thing that's causing uh, problems. It's not the thing that's, uh, that's stirring up strife. That's part of why the clerk is defending Christianity or, or uh, to some extent defending them as not having caused the problems and instead turning on, on, the, on the mob. Um, right, if you look at the reasons why this clerk and the Asiarchs and some of the others, just what you see in the passage, why, the, why uh, Christianity uh, is liked, uh, listen, one thing, it tells the truth. Uh, Paul's there speaking the truth. He's speaking, speaking the real experiential benefit of some Christian church. I mean, it's kind of great when you don't have to spend all your money on, like, silver temples to take home again. Right? Uh, or to buy another golden. I guess the graven one's not good enough. We better, should we get the silver? Should we get the gold this year? Uh, so-and-so got married. Better send him another temple. Like, when your money doesn't have to go to that, and you're like, oh. Kind of, maybe that's kind of nice. But there's a truth there. Uh, there's a truth uh, that's beneficial. And like Demetri should be one of the people that realizes this most. He, he's there making it, right? My hand's carved to God. Like, mm, or maybe not. Um, and there's an experiential uh, benefit that should be able to be, be understood even from the telling of that truth that, yeah, it's not fulfilling. Uh, that it's not, it's not real. That it hasn't worked out that way. And a, and a voice and a place uh, that the gospel gives to be able to speak into that gives reason for Christianity to be liked, even as it's hated. Also, it comes in the fashion of open statement. Right? It's not like this secret cult thing of like, here's the, here's the secret teachings and this will make your life different and you should not know that. It's very open and clear. Like the, I mean, the big thing about Christianity is, is all out there in the open that we think that there was a man who was God who died and then was raised to life again. And that was for us and for our hope of salvation. Like our like secret truth isn't secret. We want to make everyone know the weird thing at the beginning uh, because that's what it's all about. Um, Paul here, he's not trying to manipulate. Um, it's an open statement of the truth. He's willing to go into the mob and, <laughs> and tell them a little bit more. Like here's, here's what's going on here. Um, uh, it's, uh, Paul's already spent uh, two years in Ephesus telling the truth openly, humbly, reasoning about the kingdom of God, back in verse 10. Uh, all kind of other things, outworkings, even people healed uh, that, that, that are on the good side. And there's not a sense where Christianity is causing insurrection or rioting or take down the culture and its wrong things, right? Now I know like there's, there's things that like kind of attach themselves to Christianity and then say, yes, you should be mad about all these things. We want to stir you up. Um, that's not the way Christianity, that's not the way the gospel uh, promotes things. It's not trying to make a big public spectacle and manipulate um, 1 Peter 2.12 talks about in terms of keeping your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. Uh, Paul Romans says live at, live at peace with, with all men as much as it is possible. Uh, we're not here already trying to take the campus by force, but to clearly, openly speak about Jesus' death and resurrection. Because um, that has power. Because God works uh, through it. But you see the contrast of that with the mob. Uh, with, with this riot. 
It's wanting to stir things up uh, where they're not true, placing all their values on that truth, uh, speaking one thing to one another, hey, it's about the money, and then going out and saying, oh, this is against our, our goddess, right? Um, and here Christianity openly true about it. There was, y'all may remember a couple years ago now, I think it was around this time of year, a couple years ago, if I'm getting things, where uh, Chick-fil-A came under a lot of, a lot of controversy, like some protests around Chick-fil-A. Maybe you love Chick-fil-A. Maybe you hate Chick-fil-A. Maybe you like their nuggets, but you don't like their sandwiches. Whatever it is. Um, but there was this article came out um, written by, uh, called, uh, name of it was Dan and Me. Uh, everyone that, uh, all, all the Christians that I knew on Facebook, like, shared this article, like, 17,000 times, right? And then posted on the wall and everywhere else. It's called, called Dan and Me, My Coming Out as a Friend of Dan, Kathy, and Chick-fil-A. And it was written by uh, a guy, uh, I lost his name, um, who was the uh, uh, founder and uh, co-founder and executive director of Campus Pride, right? One of the leading uh, campus uh, LGBTSU groups, right? Lesbian, gay, transgender, bisexual, uh, ally, leading that stuff. And he writes this article on his coming out as a friend of uh, Dan, Kathy, and Chick-fil-A. I want to let you hear just a little bit of this. He says, I spent New Year's Eve at the red-blooded All-American epicenter of college football at the Chick-fil-A Bowl next to Dan Cathy, CEO of uh, Chick-fil-A, as his personal guest. It was among the most unexpected moments of my life. He says, yes, after months of personal phone calls, text messages, and in-person meetings, I'm coming out in a new way as a friend of Chick-fil-A's president and COO, Dan Cathy, and I'm nervous about it. I've come to know him and Chick-fil-A in ways that I would not, would not have thought possible when I first started hearing from LGBT students about their concerns over Chick-fil-A chains giving uh, practices. Uh, for many, he says, the news of this friendship might be shocking. After all, I am an out 40-year-old gay man and a lifelong activist for equality. I'm also the founder and executive director of Campus Pride, the leading national organization for lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and ally college students. Seven months ago, our organization uh, advanced a national campaign against Chick-fil-A. This is the guy. Launched a national campaign against Chick-fil-A for the millions of dollars it donated to anti-LGBT organizations and divisive political groups that work each day to harm hardworking LGBT young people, adults, and our families. I spent quite some time being angry at and deeply distrustful of Dan Cathy and Chick-fil-A. If he had his way, my husband of 18 years and I would never be legally married. And he goes on, and he talks about how Dan Cathy had sent messages and then phone calls, and uh, they started having a lot of conversations, and he goes on in this article to say, I don't agree with all the values of Dan Cathy or Chick-fil-A, but I value this man, uh, and I value their principles, and we actually have care for one another, and he asks about my husband and cares you know, for what's going on in me, and I ask about him. There's a real relationship here because of the way that Dan Cathy treated him. Uh, this guy, who is the guy who, uh, who had unlike of Chick-fil-A, right? He disliked Chick-fil-A vehemently and was ready to stir people up, not in a mob, but at least a bunch of protests against them for uh, some of their values, right? Some of those values would be uh, close to or connecting to scriptural values, uh, but, he, but, he built, but in this relationship of Dan Cathy uh, toward him, he's now the one defending Chick-fil-A. Uh, and after this, those protests kind of 
declined and, and slowed down. Uh, and the, the very person who was attacking this is now the one saying, giving the defense of like, we don't really need to be upset against them. They're actually not, not after us. They're not like trying to put down and do away with and promote hatred uh, of, of, of uh, uh, gay, transgender, bisexual, uh, lesbian people. Um, yes, they hold very different values of what is moral and right and how the world should work. Yes, he said he doesn't expect that they agree. But he comes out in favor and in defense uh, here, even the one who kind of led the mob going. Right? Um, sometimes Christianity is liked by, by still living out its values openly, truthfully, uh, humbly, patiently, graciously, listening uh, and truth-telling, uh, even to those who don't like them, moving toward that. Because Christ is reigning, the gospel continues to go forward. And, and Christ, not Chick-fil-A doesn't go, the gospel continues uh, to go forward because Christ is, is, uh, is moving his kingdom on, it's unhindered. Why Christianity is liked, why it's unliked. I hope that gives you a little bit of pause and questions to say, why do you like Christianity? And some of the answers to that. And why sometimes you don't like Christianity. And some of the answers to that. You see how Jesus is reigning and Jesus uh, is ruling. Because uh, ultimately, uh, the world hated Jesus, but the world needed Jesus. The world disliked Jesus, was against him, uh, but Christ uh, came. The world hates uh, Jesus, but the world needs Jesus. It needs Jesus to mess with its life, mess with our life, and to call it out to a different direction, uh, pointing out wrongs, pointing out the problems uh, that we experience, but calling us to something new, something different, uh, calling us to Christ. It needs Jesus to remove the false gods uh, that oppress uh, and replace it with a true, a living God who gives life, who covers sin, who extends grace. And if you wonder what Christianity should think, not just what others think of Christianity, but what Christianity and Christians should think of those around it, uh, is to take up the same character of our God, who so loved the world that he gave his own son, uh, that whoever believed in him should not perish but have uh, eternal life. Amen.